Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily Friday edition. Boxing off the week and heading into the weekend. It's an FA Cup weekend as well with one solitary Premier League fixture for good measure. The best of the weekend's action will be previewed on the dugout tomorrow morning. Niall is joined by Matt Jarvis and Trevor Stephen on tomorrow's podcast, which contains a Gary Lineker story that you will not want to miss. Make sure you're following this show for notifications of when that episode drops. But on today, well... The FA Cup kicks off tonight and it's a good game too. A rejuvenated Middlesbrough under the stewardship of Chris Wilder meets Manchester United who for once are more together on the pitch than they are off it. Ralph Rangnick is posting some decent results and it's actually the absence of Jesse Lingard this weekend that seems to be upsetting fans which is really weird considering how little he's played for United in recent years. We'll be talking about his absence and looking ahead to the game later on today's podcast. And speaking of off-field bust-ups, there are shots fired from Catalonia towards North London with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang taking aim at Mikel Arteta over his deadline day move to Barcelona. It's the first thing he's got on target for some time and we'll be discussing it in full and looking at the fallout on today's podcast as well. On duty to do all that, we've got sports social journalist Joel Tudor. How are you doing, Joel? Good morning. Um, I didn't know I could get a tan from my bedroom window in Manchester this morning. The sun is blaring on me today. <laughs> Sunshine in Manchester in February is a very rare thing. But I'll, I'll warn you, we're obviously in different parts of Manchester because it was sunny a moment ago where I am. It's now raining. So don't don't get too used to the sunshine. Uh, Marley Anderson on the podcast today, our master of memes. How are you doing, Marley? Good morning. Yes, not too bad. Thank you. Cool. Right. Well, here's a question to get us started on today's podcast. Do Premier League football fans need to STFU and wind their necks in a bit? We've had a lot of fans recently who are complaining and moaning about the states of their clubs when maybe arguably they don't have it that bad. So I'm thinking West Ham over the last couple of days moaning about buying players or not buying players in the January transfer window. We had Brighton fans booing Potter a few weeks back because of the results they were getting on the pitch. And Leicester fans before we went into this winter break, were complaining about Brendan Rodgers and questioning whether he was the right man to take the club forward. And then we look at both of your clubs, Joel, Manchester United and Marley, Newcastle United, respectively. We've seen angry protests from both those sets of supporters in recent years, complaining about the management and stewardship of your clubs. But do these fans all have points? Do they all have issues with their club? And do they have a right to complain and protest. Is there too much expectation from fans, I guess is the question, Marley, right now, in terms of what their club can achieve? Because ultimately, there aren't that many trophies, there aren't that many European places, and with the investment that comes from the likes of Newcastle and Manchester City, it is increasingly difficult to compete. So should they be satisfied with what they're getting, which is top-flight football? Uh, What what a a vague question. (laughs) I don't know. Would you like some clarity on it? Well, yeah, go on. Uh, my thinking here, so now 
this is where this has come from. So I'm a West Ham fan, obviously, and I was furious at the close of the transfer window because of West Ham's lack of ambition that we showed in that transfer window. Not signing a single player when we already have a very threadbare squad, particularly in certain areas that clearly need reinforcements, i.e. centre-back and centre-forward. Now, there was an anger from West Ham fans that seemed to match the anger in the days of the Burnley on pitch protests when they were complaining about the ownership of Gold and Sullivan. And I felt that anger. Was that, when, was that when that guy carried the corner flag around the pitch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that exact moment. And that was Brilliant. kind of a turning point in the club. That kind of seemed to wake up the board a little bit. And it seems to be happening again. But then I caught myself going, actually, what right do I have to be angry with my football club? We are currently fourth slash fifth, well, fifth in the league, but competing for fourth. It's probably the best season I can remember as a West Ham fan. And yeah, it would have been great to see us sign players and kick on. But at the same time, do I have a right to demand that from my football club who are already overachieving? I'm wondering whether, like, almost... And and as a Newcastle fan, for example, you've been sustained by Mike Ashley in the Premier League and it's great you've now got money and investment and still there's Newcastle fans angry at the type of players that have been signed do you think there's just over ambitious expectations from fan bases in terms of what their clubs can do uh, I, th- I think there's always going to be like there's never there's never going to be a hundred percent of fans and in a fan base happy with everything that's going on like it's just it's impossible it's one of them sort of things it's like a mirage in the distance like you can't you can see and think it's there this 100% happiness and everything but it's it's not I mean there's even you know there's Man City fans who have had the best football you know they've had in in their lifetimes in in the club's history and they're still angry that they haven't won the Champions League um there's you know there's clubs like Barcelona and Inter who won the treble 10 years ago and they're they're in dire straits now because you know, they they had it good and now they've not had it good. And, you know, they're, they're sort of experiencing the flip side of the coin. Man United fans have had 25 years of dominance and now they're going through a stage where they're not not dominant and they're, they're fourth and, you know, fighting for the top four. And they're, they're all fuming as if they've got a right to, to be up there. Like, that's just football. I just don't think um, there's always going to be something to moan about. Um, with, with especially with football fans, <laughs> and if there isn't something to moan about, they'll find something, and, and they'll find something out of nothing. So it's just um, it it happens to every club. Uh, it happens sometimes legitimately for you know um, for for reasons which other fan bases and general public can understand, um, and sometimes it it happens where it's more of a, a club specific problem, like. Um, like West Ham not signing a centre back or a centre forward, no one else, no other fans in the Premier League are really bothered, but West Ham fans are, and that's because West Ham fans have, feel have you know have more, um, they have more feeling towards the club and it affects them more because they're the supporters and it doesn't affect me as a Newcastle fan because I don't care. So it's just it's one of them where they everyone will find something, um, even if you've got a seemingly perfect life, there will be something that you can find to moan about. So I think it's just more human nature than anything else. The West Ham thing, by the way, doesn't come from just this transfer window. If you're not familiar with the history of the club and the management of the club over the last decade, it's the lies and suggestions that the club are trying to achieve something that they show no evidence of trying to actually achieve at a board level that seems to have really angered the fans. But Joel, I mean, there's two examples I gave in the introduction there. Brighton complaining about Potter and... 
Leicester complaining about Brendan Rodgers. These are two clubs that Brighton, it wasn't that long ago they were in the lower divisions. Leicester City, it wasn't that long ago that they were at the bottom of the Premier League. And in recent history, they won well the FA Cup last year. They won the Premier League, however many years ago that was now. Should they just be grateful for what they've got? Should there be some kind of context in kind of remembering where they've come from? I think in football, everyone takes the position for granted when it's going well and also when it's going bad as well. Um, I think there's a, a massive amount of recency bias where everyone suddenly forgets, like, for example, West Ham, you'll probably know better than me, where, you know, a couple of years ago, West Ham were on the brink of the relegation places for a good couple of years and then suddenly they're in the top four talk and I'm sure but I can understand the situation at West Ham if you like just focus on West Ham just because they're in a position now where they could really really push on and potentially change the entire outlook of the future of the club if in January they would have really pushed the boat out and shown ambition so of course the fans are going to look at that and think we're in this position why not allow us to actually think we can actually progress more than we actually are because right now I think more than ever in the Premier League the top four places are just not a given for certain teams anymore I think in the last 10 years it's always been okay Manchester City, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Liverpool that's it now I think the teams below them are starting to look up and think actually this can actually be breached for a lot of teams who didn't think that it could ever be done before but I think in the Premier League I think one big one of the biggest factors for fans getting a little bit agitated with the different um, with the different kind of complaints that they have especially like at Brighton is just the fact that Leicester Leicester's title win a few years ago I think it's really skewed expectations a lot because I think they look at that club and they look at what they had and how it was run and suddenly every team I think is starting to believe that obviously not to win the title but I mean to actually go on and achieve more than just you know 12th place finish in the Premier League every single season because you know once you start to reach an established level in the league and you've been in it for a good amount of years what fan wants to just continuously maintain that position of course you want to progress that's that's what football is about it's about winning um, and I don't think it matters how much you've won in the past you mentioned the recency bias but it doesn't work both ways does it it's like you look at Manchester United at the moment if they had a recency bias then they wouldn't be even thinking about the Premier League title yet there's still an expectation from fans that that's where the club should be yeah recency bias in terms of for example the teams who um who like for example Brighton who've been in the league for well they were in the championship a few years ago and obviously now they've maintained a decent position so of course they're going to forget about the fact that they were in the championship for such a long time uh, because they maintained a good position they played good football they've got uh, players who've been linked to all the best clubs whereas for United I think is a different situation where I get where Mali comes from where you know there's a god there's no god given right that you can be in the top 4 but I mean in terms of how much this club is making and how much budget this club has, they should be. I don't think it's a, it's a term of given, but they should be. It's it's kind of logical. When you've got a big amount of money in football, you should pr- pretty much be there or thereabouts. Um, but I definitely think, I don't think fans are wrong to expect more from the clubs because fans aren't blind to the fact that a lot of these clubs are earning a stupid amount in the, for maintaining their position in the league every year. They have the money to actually push the boat out even more now more than ever, to be honest. So why not actually try and be ambitious? Because like I said, 
no fan wants to just continuously maintain 12th place in the in the prem and just kind of you know trudge on like a ship in the night and just kind of hover around they want to actually try and progress in this weakness in the league at the moment in terms of being able to establish yourself in the top six and I think that's why fans are looking like for example West Ham who have suddenly kind of breached that a little bit um, Leicester have breached it in the last few years so there's definitely opportunity there and I think that's why other other fans are looking at other clubs at a similar level and thinking it can be done. From a fan point of view, Marley, is there ever any point in protesting, in getting angry, in booing your team, in complaining about your board? Because they very rarely have an impact. You look at the protests at Newcastle United over the last five years about Mike Ashley. Arguably, that had no impact at all, and he would have sold up when the big bid came in anyway. And I think clubs know to a certain extent what you're going to do. Are you going to go away? Am I going to go away from West Ham and start supporting Spurs because I'm not happy with the way the board are handling transfer windows? It's just not going to happen. So do does this anger have any impact other than making the fans feel better that they've had a voice? Uh, I think it can. Um, it depends on depends on a lot of things, but it depends on on how the board, for example, if you're if you're you know, fuming at the board and there and there's protests and things like that and flags and signs and banners and stuff like that. It depends how much they they want, uh, how much they care about their public image. Um, because if they're trying their hardest and the fans are moaning, then they're more likely to to come to to sort of come to some sort of um, like happy medium type of thing. Like if there's no money being spent, if there's a manager. You know, on his way, we we see impact with with managers getting sacked. Do you know what I mean? Like that that happens all the time, and fans are singing sacked in the morning, and um, you know, booing the team off and stuff. And there's there's plenty of times where it's it's um, had an effect. I mean, um, I remember Newcastle when we went down to the Championship and we we beat Spurs. I think it was five or six one on the final day, and it was Rafa Benitez's last game in charge. And the atmosphere and the fans were so good that they that they made him stay. And that was uh, a sort of, it was a him decision. It was a little bit of a board decision because um, because he, he was still under contract, basically. So the board had to do very little. Mike actually had to do very little to, to keep him. But it was, there was an impact. Um, there can't always be an impact because um, sometimes it's just not feasible. Like um, there's fans that say, you know, oh, we want to, we need new owners and new owners don't just grow on trees and they're not easy to come by. Like <laughs> West Ham want new owners, but they don't, them three in charge don't want to sell. And somebody has to come along with, you know, 250 million plus to, to buy it. Like it's, it's not as easy as getting a new manager. Well, we got the Czech billionaire who like bought well, 30% yeah. and now everyone hates him because he didn't spend <laughs> enough money. It's like, it's like, it's, it, there's, it's football have fickle fans. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's probably the most fickle thing out there I think that I think the word fickle was invented to describe uh football fans if I'm honest um but it's yeah it's, it's one of the things no fans are ever going to be fully happy because there's always something to moan about um but it's that's just football I think I think I don't know whether it's a British thing or an English thing or just a football thing that there's almost like um contentness in in moaning like everybody loves and uh, loves a good moan you know It'd be a crap podcast if I came on every week and said, yeah, you know, St- Steve Bruce was, is doing his best and he's a nice guy. You know what I mean? Nobody, nobody listens in to see, to, to hear that. Everybody listens in and is like, right, well, 
what's going on with with this guy this week? What's what's everyone going to moan about? You're moaning about uh, not spending money. I'm moaning about the owners until very recently. Uh, and Joel's moaning about uh, Man United not getting into the top four and messing Lingard's future up and all the rest of it. So there's always going to be something. But I think deep down people, people like a little moan. And um, the, the nature of football, there's only one team that can win the Premier League. So in, in that, on the other side of that hand, you know, there's 19 teams that can moan about how things could have been better. Well, we're going to talk about that Jesse Lingard story very shortly on Football Social Daily. As we look ahead to Middlesbrough versus Manchester United in the FA Cup, which is tonight's Friday night game. Quick question, which I'll reveal the answer to when we get to the end of today's podcast, but I'll put it out to Joel and Marley first. When was the last time Middlesbrough won the FA Cup? Oh, for God's sake. Why... Why had you to give these questions which are like some random 1944 or something? Um, Is that your guess, 1944? No, it's not. <laughs> um, I'm going to say like 1971. Uh, 71 says Joel Marley. 1958. 58 says Marley. Right, we'll find out at the end of today's podcast when Borough last lifted that silverware and we'll talk about their FA Cup adventure next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. It's Manchester United versus Middlesbrough in the FA Cup tonight. And the big story surrounding this game isn't about either team's progression in the Cup. It's about Jesse Lingard missing in action after reportedly asking for a couple of days off to clear his head. He was expecting a deadline day move to either West Ham or Newcastle United, but because of various very well-covered off-pitch events at Manchester United, he was asked to stay and he remains a Manchester United player, albeit not for the FA Cup fourth round tie with Middlesbrough. The fans seem upset by this one, Joel. Do they have a right to be? <laughs> Again, oh. we're back We're back to where the fans have a right to be angry. <laughs> well, another day at the circus, Jim. My God, it's just never ending at this club at the moment. Just story after story. But um, it's a tricky one, this, because it's like a he, sh- he said, she said scenario where I don't really understand who's in the right and who's in the wrong because Ralph Rangnick has been, and it's clear now, he's very blunt and he's very honest with players who seemingly wanting to go to go from the club obviously with Martial he was pretty clear when he said that he wanted to or he ref, I think he said along the, along the lines of he refused to play and then Martial came out and said I would never refuse to play and then in this situation um, Ralph Randnick has said that he, he, he asked for some time off Lingard said that the board told him to take some time off I don't really know what to believe to be honest uh, but one thing's definitely for sure is that Randnick is definitely not pulling any put not uh, pulling any punches in terms of defending his players at all the ones who want to leave um he's been very very honest whereas you know Solskjaer was the one who would kind of make up an excuse for players who were kind of uh, either misbehaving or something was going on behind the scenes that they weren't exactly doing right and I think that with this situation if you're being told to take days off surely it's come up in conversation that is an issue that is is playing on your mind if you, if you're having a discussion about it and I don't understand because he's had two weeks off in Dubai now and he's known the situation for a good amount of time 
I'm just struggling to understand why you need more time. Like, why would you? Because he, he said that the club advised him. So that's not to, you don't have to. It's your choice if you want to take those extra days off. And I think Man United versus uh, Middlesbrough is the perfect fixture to actually play for him, especially. So, you know, it's not like United have told him dead and straight, you're not playing uh, tomorrow. It's your choice, but, you know, we think it's best. I don't know the exact ins and outs. So I don't want to kind of assume the worst on either side, but it's, it, th- again, it shouldn't. Even, this situation shouldn't even be happening. And I think in terms of his move to Newcastle, a conspiracy theory on my behalf, but I think it's very, very political because it's it was quite clear that a lot of the Premier League clubs were opposed to Newcastle, Newcastle's takeover. And I wouldn't be surprised if many clubs, many of the top clubs, would be happy to see Newcastle go down based on the takeover. So I think that United were just constantly moving the goalpost where it was never, ever going to get done for Newcastle to buy him or loan him and I don't think he was ever going to go to West Ham because of course they're now a genuine uh, top four threat so I don't think his move was ever credible but I also believe that you know Rangnick said that he changed his mind three weeks ago about moving so honestly there's just a lot that's gone wrong in this scenario on both sides of the coin so I wouldn't put blame on either side but it's a messy scenario honestly but he's on his way out and I think Rangnick just sees it as that it's definitely been mismanaged this one Marley hasn't it because you've got the club saying that Lingard asked for time off and then Lingard coming out and going look I'm ready to play I want to play football but the club have advised me to take time off and as Joel says this is a man who is struggling for game time he wants to play football and this would feel like the ideal opportunity for him to get onto the pitch so it's just another case of maybe Lingard's reputation with the fans taking another blow and Manchester United's reputation with the player taking another step back as well. It's getting toxic. Yeah, it is getting toxic, but I don't you know, I I don't think Lingard has to to prove anything anymore to, to Man United. He's been there for ten years. He's never not wanted to play for Man United. He's he's always wanted all Jesse Lingard has wanted in his career to be a Man United first team player. Like a, a genuine sort of star of that team. And a valued member of the of the first uh, first choice eleven, and you know this this last year and a half has been nothing but an absolute waste of his time. Man United have dragged him along, strung him along on this false promise that there's games uh, that he can play and he he can come in and be part of the team after his great loan spell at, at West Ham. They give him you know a few a few starts and a, a few. Uh, Sub appearances at the start of season. At the start of the season, he did well. He even scored the winner against West Ham. You know, with the club he just come from, like a last minute, ninety third minute winner or whatever it was, and he was straight back on the bench again. So, when when it comes to January, he's thinking, finally, I can I can leave now and reignite my career, um, and and you know have a, a fresh start and a new challenge. And then Rangnick says, oh well, you know, well, he comes in in what. November time, December time, whatever it was, and he says, you know, oh well, you might play, you might play a bit, you know, it, and then he's like, okay, right, well, that doesn't really help me, but let's see what happens, and then we get to January, and everyone messes around with it for for whatever reason, maybe Joel's reason, maybe maybe something else, maybe there was cross wires or whatever, I, I don't know, but again, another transfer window comes and goes where he can't 
um, you can't get any clarity on his future. So when it comes to the end of that, and there's a, a game against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, people are saying, oh, this is a great opportunity for him to play. But what's the point? Everybody knows what a good player he is. Like, he's done that at West Ham. He's, he was he was very unlucky not to get in that England Euros squad. So he's got nothing to prove. What's a Friday night game in a competition which a lot of reserves get the get the chance in? against a, a championship side, which aren't, you know, what are they, eighth in the championship or something like that? You know, what's that going to do for, for Jesse Lingard's career? It's not going to do much. So if I was him, and, you know, obviously he's not playing tonight, and we know that, but if I was him, I'd be like, well, why, sh- why should I play for you when you've literally just b***ed away most of my career now? He's 29 years old, and he's been... And done for his World Cup chances as well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly, and you know, we go back. You go back a year, and his contract was running out. He went on loan to West Ham, and then they 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 duped him in with this this complete bullshit of of oh let's sign another. If you sign a, a year's uh, extension, you can either get in the team or we can make money off you and not lose you as, as on a free. So they had two. They've had two transfer windows to not um, lose him on a free and to sell him. So they had the summer, and they've just had January. And they've just picked their asses mm. for for both of them, and just let him, just <laughs> let him just expire. Like it's pointless. They, they, you know, last summer you could have had fifteen, twenty million for him. This summer, if you'd said to Newcastle, pay eight or ten million for him, then they'd probably have said yes. But instead, everyone was messing around with loans, and you know, we'll we'll loan you, and then you can see what the new manager, who the new manager is in the summer. And trying to string him along again, and I, I do, I do feel a bit sorry for him because it's, it's not the way you would treat a guy who's been at your club for ten years. He's, he's always give his best. He's not, you know, he's had his, you know, his problems with being, you know, a, a bit immature and winding up fans and whatever with his little antics and stuff. But that's just who he is. Like that's, that's what, that's what you get with Jesse Lingard. But you also get a quality player, and then. I just think they've wasted his career, and one day I think maybe Lingard will wake up and think, "Why did I spend ten years at Man United playing bit part roles, never really nailing it down, on this hope that one day I might break into the team, which I never really did." When he could have just spent six months getting relegated with Newcastle, the uh, <laughs> the options yeah. are plentiful. At least he'd be playing. Yeah. Um, in terms of proving himself. Joel, well, I guess you could level the same at Paul Pogba at the moment. He is expected to play into tonight's game. He hasn't played a whole lot over the last 12 months, but he's back from injury and back into the team. Now, that's the expectation. Is he in his last chance saloon for Manchester United? Does he have anything to prove? Does he even care that whether he has something to prove or not? Because he'll get his move away to a PSG or a Real Madrid, whoever it is afterwards. Well, it's the same, exact same situation again, where United could have got probably £50 million for him last summer. And now they're going to end up losing him again for free um, to a bigger club. And that's the way it's gone at the United at the moment. They're just mismanaging absolutely everything. I mean, I don't understand how you let your world, your your club record signing run down his contract um, and allow him to leave on a free again. It just shows just how poorly run the, the, the club is at the moment. I don't believe... In terms of having something to prove, I mean... I think everyone would agree he has been underwhelming at United um, throughout his career. I, th- I don't think everyone, or I think everyone expected something that he isn't when he arrived from Juventus. 
which is, you know, I think it's that transfer value kind of uh, discrepancy everyone sees. You know, a good example is Harry Maguire. 80 million was spent, but he's not an 80 million pound player. Paul Pogba, 90 million was spent, but I don't think he's a 90 million pound player. He needs a specific system and he needs top, top midfielders around him to actually get his level up obviously you see it for France next to Kante he looks incredible next to um, Vidal and Perlo he looks incredible next to McTominay and Fred I mean it's a different scenario altogether uh, I think I, I think I don't think many midfielders will look good next to them too so you say McTominay is not as good as Perlo I am saying that <laughs> Mc, McPerlo Joel's hot take of the podcast I mean, he's, he's on his way he's well on his way um, but no it's with Pogba it's it's just this is honestly it just disappoints me so much because that one season in the Mourinho where he got I think like 10 goals and 15 assists or something like that in all competitions he looked he looked the player that we thought we'd signed and honestly I don't understand the hate he gets but it's purely because of that background noise around Raiola because from what I've heard and from what many people say he's a great guy behind the scenes um, and it just seems like pundits just enjoy picking at him because he's the easier guy and because he's got he's a bit flamboyant with his personality and his looks these older guys just can't comprehend it they don't like it it offends them for some reason um but for me he has to show it on the pitch as well and too often than not he's not and that's just the, the facts of it and to be honest now I think United fans have accepted that the club's not going to get a fee for him that's fair enough that's their problem it's not our money it's the club's problem um, they clearly don't like money apparently apart from the Glazers when they take the dividends every year um, that he's going to go on a free and to be honest I think it's the best for all parties to be honest because I just don't see him going up any kind of levels at United unless we get a manager in who understands exactly how to utilise him and he's not the player that you build your team around he's the player who goes next to the players you build your team around um, he's like a luxury player in my opinion um, who actually adds that flair to your team. He adds that creativity to your team. You can't base your team fully around him because I don't think he can step up to it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rubbish scenario and United have got themselves to blame as they've got themselves to blame with Lingard where they could have gotten 15, 20 million and I just genuinely can, cannot comprehend why that deal wasn't made. It was the best for West Ham. It was the best for Lingard. It was best for United and... Yeah, it's, it's it's baffling. Really, is baffling. It's the same with a lot of players at the moment. Um, you know, Martial's gone out on a loan, and he probably should have been managed a little bit better. And then you, the the list goes on and on and on. Uh, to be honest, we need. I think the club needs a whole reset. They're in a DNA crisis. They don't know who they are. They they thought that they were this you know top three side attacking wingers, Alex Ferguson football. Um, and now it's just they're in a bit of disarray they don't know who they are they don't know how to play um, and now that there isn't that right of challenging for the league every year because there are better run clubs um, than United suddenly they just it's in panic mode a little bit but I think right now is the time for a reset uh, especially in the summer I think there's going to be a ridiculous number of outgoings um, and you know what rightly so because I think a lot of players in there don't want to be there Let's. This is supposed to be a preview of tonight's game, so we better do a little bit of that rather than talking about the farce around the management of the club at the moment. You've got Chris Wilder at Borough at the moment, Marley. I mean, he knows Manchester United in terms of opposition. He's doing all right at Borough as well. But then Ralph Rangnitz having an impact as well. Three wins in his last four. 
it doesn't feel like Borough are going to make this easy for Manchester United, but at the same time, can you see an upset or do you think Manchester United are just too good at the moment and will have too much of a focus on the FA Cup because it is probably one of their best chances of silverware to let this one slip? Yeah, I, I'd i be more tempted into thinking there could be an upset if it was uh, away at uh, the Riverside. But with it being at Old Trafford, I, I just think uh, they'll have too much Man United. Uh, it'll probably be a typical... Man United performance of doesn't look the best, but ultimately a few moments of quality should should get it done. So I go for a, a Man United win, um, but they'll they'll probably make hard work of it. Well, speaking about farcical football club situations, Aubameyang versus Arsenal has taken a step up over the last twenty four hours, with Pierre Emerick Aubameyang saying he had issues with Mikel Arteta that led to his exit. We'll wrap up today's podcast by looking at those comments next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Final bit of today's podcast. It's Aubameyang versus Arteta. Aubameyang versus Arsenal, whatever you want to call it. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has left the club, but not without firing some shots at his former team and his former manager. He spoke last night after his move to Barcelona by saying that he had a problem with Arteta and that led to his exit. It's not very tasteful, this one, Joel. Where do you think this has come from? Do you think this came from Aubameyang being stripped of the captaincy after his disciplinary issues? He returned late from a trip away, missed training. I don't think he missed a game. I think it was training that he missed. So he was stripped of the captaincy. That seemed to be where things really deteriorated. But in terms of Aubameyang, it feels like things haven't been right with him at Arsenal for quite a while leading up to this point. Yeah, honestly, with with Arteta, I call him King Jong-Uno because, like, he's just... He's, he's an absolute dictator. It's, I, we can see it. It's, it's happened with uh, Mesut Ozil as well. He, he completely took him out of the side. We don't know the exact reasons for it, but he just seems to target the, the, the highest status players, the ones with the kind of biggest egos, the ones who have got... You know the biggest earners, the ones who have got a lot of um, respect and have, have been there for a long. time. Do you time. think it's a problem with Arteta then? I think so. I do you really think it's like do. an ego thing yeah. that he's got? I, I th- honestly, okay. I, I think he, he, from what I've seen, from what Arsenal fans have said, and what they've kind of looked at him as, he just seems like a guy who cannot manage egos or he clashes with them very, very harshly. And when he when they get on the wrong side of him, he doesn't know how to kind of um, bridge the gap between them he just wants them out of the club and to be honest when you look at Aubameyang he doesn't seem to mean it doesn't strike to me to be the kind of guy who is you know causing rifts in the changing rooms and obviously there's been talk of him having a bit of kind of a a lifestyle off the pitch which as we've seen you know with pictures away with the, the Gabon national team when he was out partying before the actual tournament that kind of thing I'm sure he has that side to him and fair enough you know what they're entitled to do what they want to do in the spare time as long as they produce on the pitch uh, but I did see a stat that he'd not contributed in he'd not scored in 50 of Arsenal's last 70 games and I think that is quite telling as well that he's not producing on the pitch considering the fact that he did two back-to-back 15 goal Premier League seasons so you know it's not it's not like there's no fault on his side as well. He's not been producing, but I don't think that's 
an excuse to completely exonerate him from the side, make a massive show of him. Um, and I, I don't know the reasons for him, you know, when he came back late, there was talk of it because his mum was ill. I don't know the exact reasons behind it, but surely you just fine him, leave him out the side for like two weeks and then we go again, forget about it. But with Arteta, it's like he can't, he's got a vent once his vendetta's in his mind, he can't deal with it anymore. He has to get rid of that player. Um, and I think it's telling with the reactions of the Arsenal players, the Arsenal fans, and also Aubameyang himself, who's clearly come out and said that, you know, it wasn't an issue with the club, it wasn't an issue with the fans, it was an issue with Arteta. So it is a shame that that happens. It's happened, you know, at Everton with Luca Dean and Benitez. Sometimes when managers clash with the the players, there's only one winner in that, and that's the, the manager ten, it tends to be. So... It's a disappointing scenario, but of course, I I, I think as well that Aubameyang's on a, a downfall, down a downward spiral in terms of his form and in his ability. I don't think he's ever going to reach those heights again. Um, I feel like he lost a bit of a yard of pace in his in his game as well. But I think he's been treated so unfairly by Arteta. I think the same with Mesut Özil as well, and there's some kind of dictatorship like complex going on with him. But for me, he'll ever be he'll forever be a uh, Pep's co-man. Would you agree with that? Marley, because, I mean, Aubameyang had problems towards the end of his Dortmund career as well. There were disciplinary questions over his behaviour there. But then Joel's kind of got a point in terms of the way Arteta potentially handles his player. And he is a student of Pep Guardiola. And Pep Guardiola's had a few fallouts with the big egos in his teams through the years. And you look at the Manchester City team he's got now, you'd argue there aren't really any big egos within that team. It's one of those situations where you've got workmen rather than reputations yeah i I think i I take joel's point completely and it's it's probably a fair one but i think with with arteta it comes down to him being um a young manager he's trying to he's still trying to establish himself in the game he's not been in charge for you know around europe's top leagues for for you know 10 15 years he's 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 pretty much a new kid on the block still, um, and I think when when a player when you have problems with players, personal issues and stuff like that, everyone's looking as as how you handle it, and nobody. I think the worst thing for Arteta to do would be to look like a walkover, because that's what Arsenal have been in, as a club for for ten years. They've been a walkover. They've signed players on freeze on huge wages, and then look chocked when they've been absolutely crap for them and sold them on for nothing and you see you see that in the in the um the recent transfer business and things like that and i think with arteta it's kind of like Aubameyang's done this before and he's done it you know he's done it now and then this time was the final straw and i think that shows strong leadership but that comes from him trying to establish himself and change the culture at arsenal because for too many years, they've had party boys everywhere, um, you know, just sort of taking the club for granted a little bit. You've had, you've, you know, it goes way back, you've had players like Adebayor and, and Bentner were, were taking the mick um, years and years ago under under Wenger and, and slightly later on as well. Um, and the professionalism is something which, which does need to change at Arsenal. You, you'd probably... You'd probably go along with that and say something culturally needs to change at Arsenal for them to be to get back into that sort of top four um, or even top six because it's it's not going that well for them at the minute. So I think if if Arteta 
sort of, I mean, only only him and Aubameyang know the reasons exactly, whether it was a, a sick mother thing, whether it was too much partying, but the fact that Aubameyang was sort of um, a judge to be partying, and then he went away with Gabon, and even Gabon sent him away, and Gabon need Aubameyang more than Arsenal need Aubameyang, especially with the African Nations Cup on the horizon, and even their manager went, this is too much, off you go, we, don't, we, we won't play with you, we're not going to win the competition anyway, so off and it was like there's no smoke without fire for me so he's done well to get the move to to Barcelona off the back of off the back of all of this but they're a club that are desperate to desperate for a bargain and will take that chance and that's probably another story but it's um it's it's kind of telling for me that if this keeps happening at Arsenal and then you don't keep backing it up with with performances you had two quiet seasons pretty much now it is going to get that little bit easier to just cut ties and, and say goodbye. I think you're right, though. I think there is a restructure need. We talk about it a lot, but getting rid of those bad apples, those egos in the dressing room probably is the start of that, whatever the cost. And even if that cost is £8 million in wages paid to Barcelona to take a Bamiyang on a free transfer, which seems like a high price to pay, but arguably worth it. Right, we're going to finish today's podcast with the answer to the quiz question from earlier. Last time Middlesbrough won the FA Cup, Joel said 1971, Marley said 1958. The answer? Never. Bit of a trick question, I know. But I was surprised. I knew it would be oh, never. And I, if, if I know you, you're a slippery git. <laughs> but isn't that surprising? A club the size of Middlesbrough never winning the FA Cup. No, Most it doesn't they got surprise was me. That's why it's a trick question. <laughs> 1997, oh, they lost to QPR in the final. 2-0. That's the closest they've got to lifting the trophy. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget the dugout tomorrow. And also, no doubt, a few FA Cup memories from the pair as well. I'll also be really interested to hear Matt Jarvis's take on the West Ham transfer situation we were talking about earlier. But that is today's Football Social Daily. Have a great weekend. Whatever it is you're doing, if you go into a game, enjoy that. Joel, Marley, thank you very much, and we'll see you for the next one. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.